0: that I'm just kind of piggybacking off a pastor, but I can assure you this is not what happened. This message has been, has been laid on my heart for about three or four months. And when I hear him speak the last two weeks, I'm like, God is good. Because if I would have come up here and spoke after last week's sermon, you would have, there would have been a seamless transition because that's the way God works. I don't want to overlook... The movement of the Holy Spirit in this church. Over the past several months, there is something going on in this church, and it's the Holy Spirit. And if you're not sure of that, sit tight, because I think that you're going to see that. There's a, some magnificent and wonderful things taking place in this church, and they're taking place because of obedience, and they're taking place because people want to be challenged. And I'll say this to you, you can't be challenged and comfortable at the same time. And the Holy Spirit and God blesses that, and that's what we're seeing taking place in our church. We're seeing the blessings of God because of obedience, and the Holy Spirit is moving in a very powerful way in this church. So, Pastor John, thank you for holding me accountable to my goals. That's why I'm up here today. We will not talk about your goal in public because I don't want you to risk not meeting that goal. I want to put up a scripture on the, on the, uh, on the overhead here. Numbers, it's, it comes out of Numbers 22, 28, and 31. Uh, this is the story of Balaam riding the donkey. And, and I'm going to kind of summarize up to this point. Balaam's riding the donkey. The donkey sees the angel. The donkey turns, comes off the path. Balaam whips the donkey. The donkey, they, they continue to ride on. The, the donkey sees the angel of the Lord again. He stops. Balaam whips the donkey. The third time, there's no way for this donkey to to avoid going around the angel, so he just lays down. And Balaam whips him, and the donkey says, The Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And it said to Balaam, What have I done to make you beat me these three times? And Balaam said, You made me look like a fool. If I had a sword, I would kill you. The donkey said, Am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden up to this date? Have I been in the habit of doing this? He said, no. And the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and then Balaam saw the angel of the Lord. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This has absolutely nothing to do with the message today. Rather, it's an explanation for why I'm standing here. Now, if you've already connected me to the donkey, um, let me remind you we're in church And uh, there will be a salvation opportunity at the end. The point is, God will use anything to deliver a message to open the eyes of the people that need their eyes open. And I truly believe that's why I'm standing here today. I want to ask you two questions right now. And I want you to think about these questions as as we move forward. Is there something that you can specifically do over the next two weeks to make your professional life, your personal life, and your spiritual life worse? Is there something you can do intentionally to make those areas of your life worse? Now, let me ask you another question. Is there something you can do over the next couple of weeks to make your personal life, professional life, and spiritual life better? Something that you can intentionally do. So think about those two questions. Um, I want to show a short video. Uh, I've seen this video several times. I want to show a short video that's going to kind of set the foundation for this message. Um, What I want you to pay attention to is um, just don't forget about the crowd. So just pay attention to the crowd kind of as the periphery of what the focus of this message, of this video is. So if you can go ahead and play that video. I've seen that video dozens of times and it never... It never is impactful as it is the previous time before. It never stops being profound. And this was the, vi- I, I saw this video, and this was where God said, this is the message. This is the message that you, that I want you to, to bring. Now, I want to, there's a, I want to make something very clear. Um, it, it, He kind of alluded to uh, his career why, and um So the career why is more, so for instance, my career why is to be compassionate and to serve others that are sick and injured, and so my what would be a nurse. My stepdad was a volunteer firefighter when I grew up, and I grew up watching him at all hours of the day and night, it didn't matter if we were eating dinner or opening Christmas presents, when there was an emergency, he got up and left, and he went, and either cut somebody out of a mangled vehicle or stormed into a burning building of a stranger. And so that's how God prepared me to become uh, a nurse. That's the, my career why, but that's that's not really what I want to talk to you today, today about. I want to talk to you about your spiritual why. Uh, that's the message. Now, in 1981, I was uh, almost 10 years old. I'll pause so you can do the math. Carry the one. For you that can't do math quick, that makes me 37 years old. <laughs> uh, it was the summer of 1981, and I had been to church camps, and I had been to vacation Bible schools, and one particular Sunday I was in service, and there was a young 20, mid-20s uh, female that had come forward and uh, was sharing a testimony about her fiance that had drowned while saving, trying to save two boys from drowning in the river. And she was distraught and very somber and crying. But the message that she had was, it's going to be okay because of my relationship with Christ and because of the promise that Christ gives me. And I know my fiance had the same relationship. So as a 10-year-old boy, uh, I had heard the the story uh, and, and I've heard about this, but that was the day God said, now you really need to know about it, and this is what I'm going to do. And so I, I spoke with my, my mom and my grandmother that evening because and, and, I was very intrigued about this relationship with Christ. And so they gave me the explanation. I talked to the preacher later that week, and that next Sunday I was baptized. Now, Monday in the summer was, was allowance day in our house, and so every Monday I would get my allowance, and I would always go to the convenience store and buy uh, baseball cards, wa- the Tops wax packs. Uh, and so this Monday was no different than any other Monday, and I, I ran into the Sunny Fair Foods, and Bob Durst was the owner, and I, wa- I ran in, and he said, hey, he greets me, Chris, how you doing? And I said, I belong to Christ. I'm a Christian now, Bob. And I go to the checkout with my baseball cards, and Darlene Williamson says, how you doing, Chris? I said, I am a Christian. Jesus is my Savior. That's all I knew. I didn't know... What else to say? I'm nine years old, almost 10. But I knew that I wanted everybody to know that. I knew that it was so important that everybody I came into contact with, they knew that I had given my life to Christ. And But then I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, how come every day isn't just like the day after we were saved? Why do we stop doing that? You see, when you accept Christ as your Savior, being Christ-like becomes your why. You have a why. And so we we want to talk about that why. Now, um, in order to kind of get a framework for what all this looks like, you know, Jesus had a why. And we have some scripture up here that I think is going to kind of Define Jesus' why. Um, if you could put that the scripture up on the on the board, please. So Jesus had a why. If we look in Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. First Timothy one fifteen says, He is trustworthy, saying that saying that deserves full acceptance, Christ Jesus came in the world to save the sinners of whom I am the worst. John 10.10 says, The the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And John 3.17, you know, that's the verse right after the verse everybody knows, John 3.16. It says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it through Him. So what do you think Jesus' why was? It was to seek... And save the lost, based on Scripture. That's why He came to seek and save the lost. So, what did that look like? Well, let's take a look at His what. And if you'll put up the next slide, please. We're going to talk about His what. What did this look like? Hebrews four fifteen, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with, empathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet he did not sin. John 1.14 says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. In Fort John 14.16, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Mark 10.45 says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his love, give his life as a ransom for many. And in John thirteen five, it says, After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that wrapped around him. So Jesus' why is to seek and save the lost. And his what is he came here in flesh. He was tempted. He walked just like us. He was hungry just like us. He became flesh. He served. Now, I don't want to gloss over this service because I think it's very important, and specifically this verse that talks about uh, when he washed the disciples' feet. I want to forget about the fact we're talking about the Son of Man, God's Son, kneeling and washing the disciples' feet. Forget about that for a second. I want to talk about Judas. Judas. Now, let me ask you a question of service. Service is, well, I'm going to help clean the church. I'm going to help get the coffee out. That's service. That's good. But let's talk about the service of Christ, specifically Judas, who's sitting to his right. Jesus knew what was going to happen. He knew how it was going to happen. Jesus knew at that table that Judas was going to sell him which would begin the chain of events that would ultimately lead Christ to be crucified. Now, I would like to say I would have done what Jesus did. But I think I might have just skipped past old Judas and said, you know what, you can hang yourself at 30 feet, brother, because I am not washing those things. But you know, Jesus didn't do that, did he? And Peter was going to betray him, and he knew it. Peter was going to betray him, and Jesus knew it. And he, and, and he still was going to wash Peter's feet. That's service. That's the service of Christ. The beginning is setting up the coffee. And the beginning is cleaning the church. That's the beginning of service. But Christ-like service is much deeper. He, he, there were 37 recorded miracles. That was Jesus's what? To come and serve. And when he was serving, he was operating in his why. He was serving for one reason, to seek and save the lost, you and me. i got to put my glasses on. 37 years old, your eyesight know, gets a little bit. <laughs> but that, you know, that service can be challenging. We talked about that. So that. That level of service can be challenging. But what did I say at the beginning of this? You cannot be challenged and comfortable at the same time. You've got to pick one. Jesus chose to be uncomfortable so he could serve. If you've accepted Christ, your why now becomes to be Christ-like. And your what should also be Christ-like in that you serve. And over time our what changes. Like I said earlier, on that Monday, uh, after I was baptized, I, I I was full of it, full of life. I wanted everyone to know. And I'll be honest with you, I don't do that every day anymore. So what's changed? Let's look at what's changed. Could you put that other slide back up? The one just before that one? Thank you. Our what changes, but our why never changes. And what happens is we, believe, we begin to believe what the enemy tells us. And he tells us, Jesus is nowhere. How does he tell us that? Well, you ever felt defeated? Like life just got the best of you? You ever been discouraged? Like you just can't get out of this rut? You ever been ashamed? Anybody ever been ashamed of their past and the sins? Makes you feel Unworthy? Those are lies from the enemy because the last thing the enemy wants is for you and I to operate in our why because that furthers the kingdom. That is not what the devil wants, by the way, if you're taking notes. How do you get to that point? Well, the last couple of Sundays, pastors talked about the power of the tongue. your voice is the loudest and most frequent voice that you will hear you talk to yourself all the time you talk to yourself this morning is there anybody who did not talk to themselves this morning raise your hand no other hand throw. matter of fact when i walked in the door I, my i was talking myself thinking i wonder if somebody's going to take my row and sarah did And John pointed that out, so thank you, John Taylor. (laughs) John said, you're preaching today and you can't even get closer than the fourth row? (laughs) Nope, I guess not. (laughs) The point is what you tell yourself, you will become. There's a verse in Job, and I think we got a slide for that verse. Job uh, 3.25. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. What do you think of that? He feared it and he dreaded it and it happened. You know, sometimes God brings a storm just to clear a path. And we get in a storm and we think the world's caving in. Maybe God's just bringing a storm to, to clear a path for you. Listen, when God sends wind, raise your sail. Take what he's given you. Operate in your why. Because listen, God is not going to leave you or forsake you despite what the enemy says. When when the enemy says Jesus is nowhere, that is not true. You don't accept Christ and Christ walks away and says, let me know if you need me. It's the opposite sometimes, right? It's I accept you, Christ, now. Hang tight. I'll, I'll let you know if I need you for anything. We rationalize, right? Don't we rationalize our behavior sometimes? Rationalize even our sin. We blame our past. We blame our sins of the past. You know, the problem of that is if you're not careful, you will talk yourself out of victory. And victory is what we are promised when we accept Christ and we become a, a child of God. We are promised victory. And if you're not careful, you're going to talk yourself out Right out of that victory. What's the opposite of victory? It's defeat, which is where the enemy wants you. I want to. There was a. They were doing a study on um, alcoholism uh, and, and genetics. So they interviewed twin boys uh, that were older in their twenties or so. One was an alcoholic, and one was not an alcoholic. You see, they were both raised in the same home with the same alcoholic father. One became an alcoholic, and one didn't. And when they interviewed the boy that had become the alcoholic, they said, how did you become an alcoholic? And he said, I didn't have a choice. My father was an alcoholic. And so when they interviewed the other boy who was an alcoholic, they said, how did you not become an alcoholic? And his answer was, I didn't have a choice. My father was an alcoholic. See, what what do they tell themselves? What are you telling yourselves? If you say, I have to do this, you've subscribed yourself to something that is not lined up with the Word of God and does not line up with victory, which is promised to everyone that becomes one of God's children. We blame others. I think, uh, you know, early in the Bible, there's a perfect example of how we blame others in the story of Adam and Eve. You know, God gave them to say, This is all yours. All of it. Anything you want, everything you want, except for don't eat the fruit from this tree. That's it. Everything else. But what happened? The power of the tongue. Somebody started talking, and somebody started listening, somebody started believing, and they took the fruit and they ate it. And then what happened? Shame, right? And then they hid from God. And God called out, Adam, where are you? I'm here. I'm over here. God knew where he was at. Did you eat that fruit? And Adam, just like any upstanding man, says, God, let me tell you about that woman. (laughs) Well, so God goes to Eve and says, Eve. Eve. You had everything in the garden, everything you wanted. I said, don't eat from this tree. You, why did you eat from the tree? What'd she do? God, let me tell you about that snake. Well, of course, the snake didn't have a leg to stand on. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's the blame game, right? I, I got to tell you this. Lisa didn't run the worship songs past me before this at all. This is, this is divine. And I have in these notes right here, and we sang this song that lines right up with this. What does your song sound like right now? Does your song reflect your why? Just like in the video we saw. When you operate in your why, your what looks so much different. When you operate in your why, the crowd gets inspired, right? When you operate in your why, there's power in that. And our why as Christians is to be Christ-like. What others have said about us can influence us. It can change our impression of ourselves, right? Good or bad. But it's really our choice whether we accept it or not. We have no control over what people will say, but we have control over how that's going to influence us, how that's going to change our impression. Pastor told a story last Sunday about, and this story he told last Sunday was right out of my message. So thanks for doing that. But I'll summarize, it's the Texas Ranger that, was, that grew up and his dad said, if you keep throwing the ball like that, son, you're going to end up in the major leagues. And he did. And he was doing a prison ministry. He was telling the story. And afterwards, the prisoner, a prisoner came up and said, you know, our stories are very much alike. I'm where I am because this is where my dad said I was going to be. The power of the tongue. I want to tell you another story about Ben Hooper. Ben Hooper was born in the late 1800s. In the foothills of East Tennessee, he was born to an unwed mother. And at this time, if you were born to an unwed mother, that was not favorable at all. As a matter of fact, as he grew up, uh, anywhere he went, he was mocked. And and people would say, hey, Ben, who's your daddy? Because he didn't know. Whether it was the grocery store, anywhere, who's your daddy, Ben? And it hurt, It's painful, to the point where he stopped going in public he would go to school. He wouldn't go to recess. If he did, he would hide. Otherwise, he would just stay in the classroom. At lunch, he ate by himself because he didn't want to hear, who's your daddy, Ben? Till one Sunday about, he was about 12 years old and a new preacher had come into town and he had heard all these rumors about the message that this preacher had been preaching and how dynamic he was. So one Sunday, Ben Hooper, age 12, decides, I'm gonna go check this out. And so he snuck in the back door kind of late into the service and heard this message. He snuck out before it was over just because he didn't want anybody to see him there. And he developed this trend over the course of several weeks until one Sunday he got so caught up in the message he forgot to leave before it ended. And when he realized that he stood up to leave, but you see all the aisles, all the aisles were cluttered with people trying to get out. And he was stuck. And about that time, he feels a hand on his shoulder. And it's this young pastor. He looks at him and he says, Son, who is your dad? And the church got quiet. And the pastor, realizing there was something that was going on, and I think through the discernment of the Holy Spirit, steps back and he says, Ah, I know who you belong to. Well, the the family resemblance is uncanny. Well, you're a child of God. You are a child of God's son, and you have an inheritance. Go claim it. And Ben Hooper says, when when he heard those words, that's the first time he really smiled. Now, let me tell you the end of the story. When anybody would ask Ben Hooper, who's your daddy? He would say, I'm a child of God. Even when he was the governor of Tennessee. Even when he sat in the cabinet for President Harding. I am a child of God. The power of the tongue. When you're operating in your why, what you say can inspire and influence others in good or bad ways. But I think if we're operating in our why as being Christ-like, we're going to say things that will influence and motivate other people. psychologists tell us that we're going to move to the strongest impression that we have of ourselves. So again, if you're told over and over and over again the wrong thing, you're going to have a tendency to move in that direction. It's inevitable. The key is to cut it off early. If you're afraid to fail and you operate on that fear of failing, guess what's going to happen? You're going to fail. And a lot of times pro golfers it's golf is such a mental sport when they stand over the ball at the tee box and they think there's water on the right, their sports psychologists tell them, don't pay attention to the water. Because the first thing that they'll do, if they're not careful, is they'll say, what? Don't hit the ball right. Well, guess what happens? They hit the ball right. Because they've told themselves that, which, what they end up doing. The same thing goes for us. If one of your children says, hey, can I help with the dishes? And after you pick yourself up off the floor <laughs> and say, okay, what's the next thing you say? Don't break them. If you, lay, if you got on your knees the night before and prayed and said, God, what can I say to that child tomorrow that will ensure that they break all my dishes? God would say just that thing. Tell them don't break them because if you do, they're going to break them. It's the power of the spoken word. And it's not just what people tell you, it's what you tell yourself. Now, you remember the two questions I asked you earlier. I'm going to ask them again. Is there something that you can specifically do over the next two weeks to make your professional life, your personal life, and your spiritual life worse? Intentionally worse? Show of hands. Everybody should raise their hands. I'll help you with the easy ones. Now, the next question was, is there something that you can do over the next two weeks to intentionally make your professional life, your personal life, and your spiritual life better? Show of hands. So, can we agree that you have the choice to determine whether those aspects of your life become better or worse or the same? Can we agree on that? You raised your hands and said, yeah, I have the power to influence those directions, Every choice has a result. So making the choice is your responsibility. Now, this is what you said. This is what you said. This is not what I said. I'm just interpreting your results. You said that regardless of how good or bad my past was or how good or bad my present is, that there is something that I can do right now to intentionally change that. You said that. That's pretty profound. Sometimes when I make profound statements, I'll I'll, I'll have to tell you they're profound because I get this look like, that's pretty profound, but you said it. Despite your past, your present, you have the choice to make it better, worse, or the same. But what does it take to make that choice? Those are hard choices. You've been... You've been dealt a pretty raw hand, right? That's a tough choice to make, that, to make that right choice. It's so much easier to not make that choice. The problem is when you have a pity party, not very many people are going to come. And when they do, they're certainly not going to bring gifts. You're going to be lonely. Nobody likes a pity party. You ever notice when somebody's having a pity party, they want you to have a pity party too? And if you're not careful, you'll jump right in. And then we'll have a pity party together. Well, I'm going to tell you how, that, how you make those choices. And we sang about it today. It's hope. Jesus is hope. John Maxwell says, where there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Hope. Jesus is our hope. And with hope, we have power. And power is what you need to make decisions and choices. In Jeremiah 29, 11, it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Anybody weary? Anybody, energy's just kind of zapped, life's just kind of zapped you? You just don't have that strength. I have a recipe for that, and it's right in the first part of that verse. Hope in the Lord will renew your strength. And what's that look like? You will soar on wings like eagles. You will run and not grow weary, and you will walk and not be faint. Does it sound like that if you're a Christian and your why is to operate, is to be Christ-like, does it sound like if you have these characteristics in your life, it's going to be a whole lot easier to operate in that why? See, Jesus' victory, we sang about that today too. I was wondering if you had somehow read my notes when we were singing these songs. But before I could become amazed, I realized... This is God. We shouldn't be surprised when God does this. But there's victory in Jesus. In Romans 8, 31, it says, What then shall, what then, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And in John 16, Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. How many people need a little peace? They got a little turmoil going around. How many, how many people need some peace? Every hand should go up unless you don't ever leave the house and listen to anything or see anything in the world you will have tribulations that's what jesus said you're going to have tribulations but take heart oh no this is the message take heart this is part of our why cuz jesus says what i have overcome the world yeah. who wants to be christ like who wants to, their why to be Christ-like? Guess what? When you're Christ-like, you too can overcome the world. Does anybody in here, does that, does that sound good to overcome the world? It sounds great to me. You see, you can choose victory. Will you put that next slide up? You can choose victory and change your Jesus is nowhere to Jesus is now here. And when the devil says Jesus is nowhere, you say, no, Jesus is now here. And Jesus is my why. And being Christ-like is my why. And when the devil tells you and reminds you of your past, well, you just remind the devil of his future. And I promise you he'll flee. He doesn't want any part of that. He doesn't want any part of boldness. He wants discouraged and defeated people because they're easy. They're easy targets. He wants you to get discouraged. He wants to knock you out of your why. He'll come to your pity party. Oh, he'll bring gifts too. I promise. That's a visitor you don't want. You are a child of the Almighty God. You are created in His image, and your why is to be Christ-like in this life. That is your why. Christ-like. Let me tell you something about Christ. Christ is a pain-taking, chain-breaking, prison-shaking Savior. How many people have pain? But Christ will take it away. How many people feel bound by their sins? He'll break the chains. You don't need that. You see when you're bound by sin and the chains are sh- got heavy shackled. What's Christ say? Rise, your shackles have been broken, right? Several years ago when God, Spoke to Pastor John and said, hey, um, I need to talk to you. Because that's how God starts conversations. It <laughs> doesn't typically come in this booming voice. and this, It's just, hey, uh, I need to talk to you. He said, hey, I want you to build a coffee house down there on the end of that property. But don't worry, listen, we're going to pay the property off for you. You're going to be debt free. Just build a coffee house down there. And of course, yeah, why not? There's not a company that has the market on coffee, right? Now, I can't verify this. I'll check with Heath afterwards, but uh, Starbucks is changing their names to six bucks. (laughs) Don't tell them I said that. Please don't (laughs) tell them I said that. But God said, John, I want you to build this coffee house. And so John said, okay, all right. Let me run up by some people, but yeah, I'll, I'll do it because John is operating in his why. Now, if John would, if God would have said, "John, here's a scoop, build a coffee house," because I got this orphanage in Honduras that, that they have all this extra coffee, and I want you to buy this coffee and I want you to bring it back and roast it, and we're going to help support that, his head would have blown up. <laughs> he wasn't ready for that, but he didn't do that, right? Just build the coffee house. You go be the contractor. What? Yeah, I got this. Go be the contractor. And he got validation. He just told us that. He got validation. Yep, you're the contractor. And now as you've seen this unfold over the last few years, you've seen how big this little coffee house has become. And it's because he is operating in his why. He is being Christ-like. Oh, you talk about serving? I don't know if you understand the coffee business and the monster that has a hold of that industry. But I can tell you what they don't have. They don't have the promises that we have. They don't have victory like we have it. They don't have hope like we have it. They don't have a purpose like we have, and they certainly don't operate in the same why that we operate under. And if you're not buying into the vision of this coffee house... I'm sorry. Because this is God's vision. It's not John Miller's vision. This is God's vision. Or what about when uh, the group came back from Honduras and they gave their testimonies? Wonderful testimonies. But what really struck me was when Heath came up here. And Heath was up at Rancho Ebenezer talking to the director. And the director says, you are the biggest contributor and supporter of this ranch Keller, Texas not a big church it would be easy if we were a big church not a big church that's Cosser celebration, right? high five, yeah oh no, not Heath Miller I mean he's celebrating but Heath said uh, so how many kids you got here? 42 how many is it home? 84 and then the next thing you said was profound. What do we got to do to fill this place up? What will it take from us so you can fill this up and you can have 84 kids in this environment getting Christian, uh, Christian values, getting education, getting ahead? What do we got to do? You see, that's, that's operating in your why. We can celebrate all day. It's half full. We're great. But that's not enough. That's not what God wants. He wants the place full. Now let me ask you a question: If we fill that place up, what do you think that's going to look like for us? Do you think God's going to bless that? We're not going to be able to contain the blessings that God has in store for us. Or what about this one? You were given. You're. You're going to. My wife was going to preach. She's going to give a sermonette on Mother's Day. Several months before that, the three ladies that spoke got together and they decided we're going to break this verse up. Pray about which part you want to do. Of course, when they came back, they all said like this, God told me to do the one I don't want to do. <laughs> Let me tell you something. If God tells you to do something you don't want to do, that's, that you, that's good. You're, you're already in victory because God's saying, I got something better for you and so god says to my wife you're gonna you got to take the part that talks about not being fearful not being fearful so that's what she did didn't like it wasn't her first choice wasn't her second choice that's what she did and then four days before she was supposed to deliver that message she was diagnosed with breast cancer Yet Sunday morning she came up here and she stood tall and she stood strong fearless because God had prepared her for that and she was operating in her why. Now the story doesn't end there. She was getting her routine dental cleaning done and the the hygienist and the dentist and his wife, they all know, family. And uh, Of course, the standard question they say is, uh, has anything changed in your health history since the last time you were here? Oh, yeah. I got a little breast cancer. What? Yeah, breast cancer. Um, You're handling it well. I'm not afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. God's got this. And this hygienist breaks down in tears and says, I've been so afraid my husband and I aren't going to be able to have kids. And here you are with cancer, and it's not even bothering you. That's fearless. That's operating. If, she, if God had given her cancer prior to her putting that message together, do you think it would have been the same message? It would have been tough. But that's operating in your why. That's operating In your why. See, God chose you and me as his child. He chose you and me to be victorious. He chose you and me to overcome this world. That's what he chose. So the question is, what do you choose? Like it or not, we're all going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive we should really take the choices we make for eternity seriously. What does your song sound like? Does it reflect your why? And I know we've heard messages of hope and victory before. And the the fact is, a message can travel all the way around the world 25,000 miles in an instant. But it could take years for it to travel one-sixteenth of an inch. Is today the day? Is today the day that the message of hope and victory travels that one-sixteenth of an inch and gets into your mind and into your heart and you start believing it? St. Augustine said this, Man travels hundreds of miles to gaze the broad expanse of the ocean. He looks in awe at the heavens above Stares in wonderment at the fields, the mountains, the rivers, and the streams. And then he passes himself by without a thought. God's most amazing creation. I know this. The Bible tells us we're going to win. And just like that preacher told Ben Hooper, you're a child of God and you have a great inheritance. Now go claim it. You are a child of God. You've accepted Christ, and now you know what your why is. Your why is to be Christ-like. Could I have the worship team come up here, please? We've talked a lot about when you accept Christ as your Savior and what your why becomes your why becomes to be Christ like and if i close this message without asking a question i don't know that this message would be worth the paper it's written on if if i could get everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads you see this message is about hope and victory and understanding that when you accept Christ as your savior Being Christ like becomes your why. But I I really feel like before we can go any further, the question has to be asked Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? You see, you can't experience the hope and the victory without accepting the Savior. So with every head bowed and eye closed, I want to ask this question. This is the most important choice that you will ever make in your life. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? If there's somebody in here today that says, I have not accepted Christ as my Savior, this victory and this hope that you talk about, I want that relationship. Would you quietly just raise your hand? And say, that's me. I need Christ to be my Savior. Anyone in here today that would make that profession today. Now everybody sitting here today, you've accepted Christ as your Savior, but yet the power of the tongue of the enemy of your spouse they've led you to maybe say some things to yourself and about yourself that aren't really true and you've you've kind of you've kind of veered off this path you've gotten knocked out of your why your song does not reflect your why is there anybody in here today that would say that's me That's me. Would you slowly just raise your hand and acknowledge that that you've you've believed the lies of the enemy a little bit and it's really started to affect your why? Thank you. Anyone else that would just slip a hand up quickly and say, That's me. Thank you. Have the worship team Close with this song. If you have a need and you want to be prayed for, this, the altars are open. This is where you can come and get prayed for, and you can meet Jesus right here. You can meet Him at your seat. But there's something about standing up and moving forward, and every step you take towards that that person that's going to pray for you, you gain more confidence. You become bold, and you start walking in that victory that's been promised. So if that's you, as we start this last song, just step out and come forward and let let someone pray with you. Let someone inspire you and begin to walk in victory again.